Hey everyone, this is Josh back with Cardboard Chronicles. Uh, today I decided to change it up a little and I was bringing on someone from the Pokemon hobby. Scott has his own YouTube channel uh, and I was actually inspired to start my channel after watching Scott for a couple years. He brings a really unique perspective to the hobby and I'm really excited to have him on. So Scott, how's it going, man? Pretty good, man. Happy to be here. Awesome. So why don't you start us off and uh, tell us about your history in the hobby and you know how, what got you into Pokemon and all that fun stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's similar probably to most people our age. Uh, I actually started doing sports in college. So this is like mid 2000s. I started just collecting sport cards on the side and then Pokemon pretty quickly after. And I transitioned more into Pokemon uh, for a number of reasons, but I still dabble in sports memorabilia a little bit less than I used to today. But yeah, I mean, I've been doing it for, I think, like 13 years now in total. So been at it for a long time. So what all do you, what do you collect both sports and Pokemon? Uh, it's, I mean, it's mainly nostalgia. I think most for me, like collecting is just continuing an experience you had before, whether that's in sports, whether that's, you know, in non-sports like Pokemon or magic or whatever. Uh, but yeah, for me, I played pretty much everything growing up, uh, played baseball, basketball, um, soccer, hockey, you know, so I had like a foot in all these camps. So I just always had nostalgia for, you know, that nine, eight, I would say like late eighties, nineties generation of, of sports. And yeah, I think I was spoiled too. Cause in the nineties, you got to see like Jordan and Gretzky play live. And it was surreal. Like to actually, to even now when I watch videos of them, I'm like, I can't believe these guys actually played like that. They were real. So, so yeah, it's, it's definitely a nostalgic thing. Um, and a historical thing as well. I think, you know, there's a lot of history there and achievement. So so yeah, just a lot of good things, I guess. So try to like wrap your arms around everything you collect. I mean, it's tough. Like I really, I really branched out to a lot of things. Like I do magic now as well. I mean, my biggest thing is Pokemon. That's my expertise is for sure. Pokemon number one. Um, then I would say sports is like a far second uh, because Pokemon is just so high up there. Like how deep I got into it. Uh, to a point where I like created new markets, new avenues. So um, yeah, it's it's really hard to capture all of it in its entirety, but I would say Pokemon for sure is the biggest chunk and then sports and then probably like magic. I do some video games as well. Again, just so a lot of stuff I grew up with mainly. So why don't you tell us about your Pokemon business that you have going and sort of the channel that you have and just explain all of that. Cause I know you've got a pretty big following now and it's basically your job. And I think a lot of people will be interested to- to know like is there really that much to pokemon is there that you know that is it that deep where you you're spending this much time on it actually i'll do a little do a little plug here if you if anybody has this smr magazine for the psa subscribers out there i was actually featured in this magazine you can see that that quality steve from blues clues photo right there but uh yeah like this i mean this pretty much summarizes it because they asked me the same question and it was basically like i don't know man like it was something I didn't plan. You know, I I just went to school. I did this as a hobby on the side and it just kind of snowballed to a point where I hit this crossroads of like doing a typical out of college insurance job. I did that for literally three and a half days and it was terrible. (laughs) And I was like, screw it. I'm just gonna go all in, you know, trying to do like, I guess like a dealer trader slash investor in, in all these collectibles. Uh, And it started much smaller. Now it's at a much healthier place, you know, knock on wood, but yeah, that that there's no real one answer to it. It's it was just a long process. I think the easiest way to describe it is just constantly being engaged, and things just yeah. fell into place um, over time naturally. So, 
So where's your where's your niche in Pokemon? Is it like the base set stuff or? That's a good question. I would say in general, like I have some cards on hand as an example. It's probably going to be the trophy cards. Actually, going back, going back to this thing, it's like this thing details these trophy cards as well, and I keep plugging it because for guys who aren't too versed in Pokemon, it's easy just to read that and understand it, uh, what these are. But this is probably what people know me for are these type of cards where like you know something like your Charizard. This is considered a set card. Now, this is definitely like the premier marquee set card right here. You know, it's going to be analogous to like a rookie card or something like your trophy card is going to be, I think, more analogous to like a Honus Wagner in that it has this extremely limited print. Uh, this one in particular, uh, six copies were awarded to the winners of the literal world championship where, you know, the people play the actual game. Uh, so basically, the trophy cards have a very exclusive release. And that just enticed me like. I think it was like 10 or 11 years ago when I discovered them. And that's just been the thing I've gone after primarily. Uh, it's, it's a very unique combination. I don't know how to translate it for sports. Honus Wagner is the best off the top or off the cuff example I could think of. Like, a, I was going to say one of one, but one of one is a little bit more, it's a different beast. It's a little more contrived, a little more of a sit down concept where this is like, I would say more organic because it's for like a specific tournament or a specific purpose. So, so yeah, that, I would say that'd be my like number one niche is the trophy card category. So are you investing in all kinds of things or just like the higher end stuff where, where are you coming at it from an investing standpoint? Uh, I mean, it, I adapt constantly. I would say with collectibles right now, I would say I'm, I'm shooting more towards rarity uh, where before with Pokemon, like we went back three years ago, I was buying a lot more of like your, your set cards, something like, you know, your first edition base or gold stars, things like this. Uh, right now I'm kind of pumping the brakes a little bit on that not buying as much and leaning more again towards these, like the rarer cards, I think because a lot of the other stuff is getting optimized. I think that's probably true for a lot of these, like whether it's sports or magic, the gathering, you name it. I think a lot of that stuff is getting heavily optimized because there's so many more eyes on it now with social media. So yeah, I'm getting, I'm just focusing a little bit more on the rarity than I did before. I think that'd be the easiest way to, to categorize it. So try to explain the sports guys. Um, how you can make money in Pokemon and just sort of like the, the longer term thought towards Pokemon. Cause I think, you know, I understand it. I came from Pokemon, but a lot of the guys that I talk to about sports, they don't really understand, you know, the future possibilities with it. Try to try to uh, explain that. Hmm. Oh, well, I mean, it's so like, if you look at first edition base set, that's like a great starting point. Um, it's basically like your 86 Fleer, your 1979 OPG. Uh, of course, you know, you're talking different eras there, but, you know, I think the Charizard is probably most analogous to like a Michael Jordan rookie. And it's going to have that same pattern of, you know, if you break a box, you break some packs, you're running that risk. Is it off centered? You know, the condition issues, you're running into that. Uh, so it, it's, this, it's, it's literally the same exact process for sports. It's just you're substituting like Jordan for Charizard, you know, or LeBron for Blastoise. You know, you're just substituting a fictional thing for, you know, a non-fictional thing. But yeah, it's like, I think that's the easiest way to say it. You know, there's no one path to success in any of these markets. Um, but it, it, that's the most similar analogy I can think of is that it's going to have all the same condition issues. You know, seal pro I would say seal product right now is vanishing very quickly in Pokemon. I think a lot faster than sports. So like a lot of these boxes are from 1999 till about 2005 or 2007. A lot of those are very scarce right now, where if you look at anything, you know, in, in sports, unless it's like, you know, upper deck, the cup or these very unique, you know, premier releases outside of those things, everything's available. So, you know, maybe that's a difference there that, 
you know, some people are just coming in to buy those boxes because they are pretty scarce because so many people are opening them to try and get the, the chase cards. So how would you compare uh, Pokemon to sports cards in terms of like long-term investing, especially with a lot of the younger generation coming in and sort of like, you know, the, the more like traditional card collector is going to be like your baseball and now moving into basketball and football. How would you, how would you sort of like warn sports people that, you know, Pokemon's not going away and it's coming? Yeah. Yeah. Pokemon might be the future. Uh, that's a really good question. That could be like an hour long conversation in itself. Like if you really want to dissect that, but uh, I think in general, I'll just say how I feel about it. Like I actually have a, <laughs> up here in my, in my office, I have Mickey Mantleball sitting here. And I think stuff like this will be fine. You know, stuff like this, you, you're talking about a cornerstone of history in the sport. Uh, that's a pretty ubiquitous name across the board. People know Mantle, Babe Ruth, you know, you name it. Uh, but I don't know how the the mid-tier sports are going to fare over time. I think in that mid-tier range, Pokemon's going to edge it out. You know, I think like the Gold Stars, for example, are going to edge out a lot of those mid-tier uh, athletes, you know, and I just don't know how that's going to stick long-term. And it's, it's an unanswerable question. Uh, for me, I just, I think Pokemon has more legs to it in general. I think it's going to last longer in like, let's say the next 20 years, you know, sports has a lot more risk right now um, yeah. with the depreciation of football, with the depreciation or the length of baseball, you know, I'm a big Cardinals fan and it's just, there's no way around it. Even the diehard fans are like, yeah, these games are so long. So, you know, there's a lot of these, I would say this pressure in sports that you don't have to experience in non-sports because it's more insulated in that it's someone's experience and not much is going to, you know, I, I guess temper that experience where in sports you have steroids or these extracurricular problems. So, yeah, I mean, I would just say to give you more objective take, Pokemon is the largest media grossing franchise out there, larger than star Wars. Uh, the, there's no modern hobby, you know, Charizard, for example, 1999 PSA 10 for Charizard sold for $40,000. You know, there's nothing from 1999 with over hundred PSA 10 examples selling for that price and i have trophy card prices that you know make that charizard look like an appetizer so yeah there's a lot of money there's a lot of money there's a lot of interest pokemon hits a larger audience you know baseball is definitely america's game pokemon is more of a worldwide brand so yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of opportunity costs in both of them i just think pokemon hits a larger demographic i would say though it cuts off around the 90s you know people who are born like like even guys who are like five years old be they just kind of get like that glazed like 90 yard stare. They're like, what is Pokemon? Like, I don't understand it. So I would say like that before that nineties generation, pre nineties, it's not much of a thing. Uh, but after that, it definitely has so much inertia, more inertia than any other hobby I can, you know, see right now. One of the things that I talk about a lot on this channel is, um, nineties basketball. I think it's pretty <laughs> analogous to, uh, to Pokemon in that, like that generation, you know, our, our age group is coming into the hobby sort of, you know, more recently and, you know, over the next few years, the disposable income is just going to keep going up. And with Pokemon, like yeah. you said, there's less risk and it's more of like a, a gradual trend up. Whereas basketball guys, it's more of like this crazy ups and downs depending on who it is. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's a lot, it's a lot different. Right? There's more choices and more possibility, possibility to, to make mistakes yes. in sports. Yes. Yeah. I think there's a lot more risk. And also I think in sports, at least for the cards for modern, you're just trying to get that chase card. Like you're trying to get the refractor or whatever it is. And it's just hard to, 
I think honestly, it's, it's hard for me at least to stay continually excited for that. You know, like I really like the old historic stuff. I like the old rookies, like pre nineties rookies. Cause it's like, it feels more organic for me. So I just don't know how that's going to play moving forward. I think it works a little bit now because it hits that gambling element. I just don't know how that's going to evolve, you know, 10, 20 years from now, but you know, there is a market for it though. You see those patch cards all the time going for new prices. So what is your take on the future of the hobby? Uh, I've heard you talk about a little bit with like the overprinting, sort of like the contrived nature of the cards, especially with sports. How, how do you feel about that, both from sports and Pokemon? Um, I mean, I'm I'm confident in Pokemon in that the vintage era, I would even extend that to like the mid 2000s, is really going to sustain it no matter what modern does. Uh, how it works in Pokemon, though, is a little bit different. The modern cards are more for the players. You know, going back to like this trophy card, this is awarded for an actual player of the game. So that's what the modern stuff is meant for. And as long as that's growing with the player base, I'm good with that. You know, even if I can't do much with it as a business, that's fine with me because there's so much other, there's so much more opportunity out there in other eras. But yeah, so I, that is the deficit is the saturation of the new stuff. But the silver lining is it's meant for players. It's not meant for these old school collectors. Um, but yeah, com- contrasting those sports is probably more what I said earlier about the, I just worry about the contrived aspect with sports. I think that's my only hesitancy. Because, you know, I'm, I've, I'll always be an athlete and I always value, you know, sports in general. But it's it, the contrived aspect does turn me away. I don't think it's doom and gloom. Uh, that's just me. It just it just I don't know I, if I have like, let's say, a thousand dollars to spend, I'd rather put in something that is more organic and historic. But that that, you know, that may just be me at the end of the day. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Um, so as a fellow YouTuber, can you try to uh, can you just talk about the importance of the community of the hobby? Like. You obviously understand that um, that's what I'm trying to do on this end. So try to like organize it for us and, and help everyone understand like why we do the channel, why, you know, you have the E4 forum, which I'll link that in the video. Why, mm. is, why is that stuff important to you? Um, well, again, it's, it's kind of that process to like the earlier question about, you know, how did you start this business? It was one of those things where I just did it like E4, for example, I just started it because I wanted to talk more about collecting. And I think that really is like the, the crux of all of it is I think people just want to share their experiences and, you know, whether that's, Hey, how many cards are in this pack? Or like, you know, what, what's the best card in this set? Or, you know, just basic questions like that. You know, I think it just keeps the interest going. Also it connects people uh, in a necessary way. You know, part of sustaining markets is growing these growing markets in the sense that like you need people to cooperate and understand that, Oh, you know, there is accurate information. We can dig deeper and find out more. Cause I think that's the wheelhouse of V4 is that you have all these people who are just very serious uh, about what they do. You know, they, they genuinely enjoy it and they also take it seriously enough to, you know, discuss it, debate it, whatever it may be. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's just a necessary part of hobbies because especially when you talk about Pokemon, it's a trading card game. So it's like, you know, that's the whole point. And it's, it's similar to sports too. You know, you want to talk about your polls, you want to talk about your centering issues or whatever it is, you know, your stories, whatever it may be, how you obtain the cards, you know, you got to have an outlet for that. So uh, it kind of just naturally evolved. Um, and at this point it's definitely become a full-time job, <laughs> whether I want to acknowledge that or not, it is. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's just, it wasn't as like pointed or um, I didn't conceive of it as like this master plan. It just, it just happened, you know, step by step. Were you surprised at how many um, people were in the community and similar to yourself? I, honestly, yeah. The, the biggest thing that surprises, surprises me in Pokemon especially is how many people worldwide 
have the same experience. Like I'll talk to guys from Australia who are like 20 hours from me, same exact experience across the board. And like people in countries, like when I look at the analytics for E4, it's like, there are countries on there. I'm just like, how is Pokemon in this country? You know, it's like, it blows my mind, you know? So it's, it's unreal how, like, I think one of the best ways to describe it is like, we have groups from E4 that meet up and Australia is one that comes to mind. Like there's an Australian meetup where these guys are like, oh yeah, we're all from Perth. And they're like, schedule time to meet up with each other. There's a few guys from Denmark do the same thing. So I think that's like the the best uh, best example of what the community can bring is that it has this connection where these people are like, hey, we like this thing. We, you like that thing? All right, let's hang out. And then you end up like just talking about life in general most of the time, you know, peppered in with some collecting stuff. So yeah, it's it's a really good place right now. Honestly, it is, it is a really good state. So we met like, good friends now from the hobby. Yeah, yeah, it really has become like this pretty intimate um, mixture of like, yeah, we know we're here for like cards and stuff, but we know a lot about each other, and we just like hang out like on Discord and talk and stuff. So, so yeah, no, it's and I think that's just again shared experiences. That's what this is all about. Like collecting is just continuing experience. So, yeah, I mean, you say, you're saying that like the the experiences are same across different people. It's even the same across, you know, Pokemon to basketball and football. I mean, we're all in this for the hobby. We're all in this for the collecting. So I think the, you know, the sort of like natural conversation that comes out of it, the organic growth of it, like, like we're having here is, is really what drives it forward. Not, you know, not these companies pumping out more product and. Oh yeah, for sure. It's definitely hardcore collectors, right? Yes. Yeah. Like genuine interest is in itself, you know, it's not a product. It's one of those things where it's more in the experience and talking about that experience. Like I remember the other day, I remember when we, so St. Louis blues had Gretzky in 1996 and we paid, my parents paid for like the playoffs, which was a big deal because you had to pay to watch it on cable. And I remember being there watching that game seven when he had it, lost it, Eisenman took it and just sniped it, you know, top shelf and to this day, it hurts so bad because like we, that we were eliminated. And it's so crazy though. Like when I'll talk about that now it's become like a meme in itself. Like Gretzky had it, lost it. And I was like, wait, I thought I was the only guy who had that, you know, that observation. It's like, no, there's like thousands of people who had that same experience. So yeah, the, the interest comes from that experience. You know, the product is just a way to sell to that experience ultimately. So what's next for Scott? <laughs> I don't know. Just going to keep it going. Yeah, just keep on doing the same thing. Uh, yeah, just try to stay on top of everything. Um, just try to stay on the cutting edge. But yeah, it's it's a constant process. Like it's, I'm definitely in it much more today than I was like five years ago. But so just to keep on going. A lot of people would be interested to know like what's an average day for someone who does this full time? Is it you like grinding on eBay looking for stuff to buy? Is it like uh, doing your Patreon thing? Like what's what's like the most of your time right now? Well, so like, this is mostly what I do, but I have other, I would say businesses are investing on on the outside. But for the main part of like my, my hobbies is that, um, yeah, it, it can vary. Like, you know, today I had like three calls, did Patreon calls. Um, I did, let's see, I bought a couple things, um, shipped a couple things, <laughs> you know, it really can just vary. And sometimes I'll have like projects on the back burner that I try to like, there's always something basically I need to do. And I think I'm just describing like the general business dilemma, you know, every business has to operate and do everything. So 
so yeah, I mean, it, it, usually every day there's at least one package. Um, there's always a mess of cards, like off camera. There's like stacks of cards here I need to sort through. So, I mean, it could, if, if I have free time to do that, I'll do that. If I need to do the packages, I'll do that. So it's kind of like a hierarchy of things I need to get done. But one thing that's always <laughs> really, really freaked me out about you know uh, not having a real job, a day job, and doing this is like like the money isn't as you know consistent. How do you? So is there times when you're like, you want to hold something to invest it, you know, long-term, but you sort of have to sell to pay or to eat, you know, like, how does that work? Yes. Yeah. So like I recently did a, a large deal uh, that I might make a video on in the, in the future. It actually has like a contract involved because it's such a, a large amount of cash and high-end cards that were, that were transacted. But um, one of the reasons I did take that deal, there's a lot of reasons, but uh, one of the reasons is exactly what you're talking about. You know, there's times where, especially when you're dealing with the high end stuff, like the the trophy cards, even Charizard, it, it can be feast or famine. You know, you have to be ready to understand that you can go like months without these high cards moving. You know, they they don't they're not liquid. They take time to move. So. Yeah, you got it. You got to be able to be patient and adapt to that. And for me, like one, one of my closest, actually, a guy I played basketball with in high school, he's like a whole foot. He's like seven foot tall. He's a seven foot black dude, and he's always like, "Man, whenever Pratt's doing something, he has like five backup plans in case something goes wrong." So I'm someone who like tries to insulate myself very well. Uh, but I wouldn't recommend most people trying to do this, especially today, right out of gate. It works for me because I was first to market and I could build over time. Yeah. But unless you have a ton of capital. Uh, to ease that that inertia, because because if you try to come in head first now, it's going to be a grind. The market's at an all time high, so you're going to need a lot of money to you know to to battle that to battle that reality. So, yeah, I mean it, there is no one answer except insulation, and I've I've done that. You know I've achieved that goal, but it's been a long you know part of that was a ten year process. You know some of these cards took me ten years to acquire uh, to get that deal done. So yeah, I mean it's it's not easy. It's not an easy thing. I would never recommend it to anyone um, unless you have some you're already kind of there and you can go a little bit further. Sure. But if you're not doing it at all, don't try to just jump in head first. So did you have a lot of um, cards on hand before you started? If I were to start it now, you know, I've had two years in the game, so I, I could probably, um, you know, make a dent in it. But for some like people ask me like, oh, I'll start investing in LeBron and I'll just start flipping. It's like you're already at the point where like so many people are, you know, way deep yes. into how much they have that you're going to be fighting yes. way uphill. So I, how much do you, would you need to have at a, you know, in inventory to like jump off before you even think? Yeah. To, to be like completely candid for people who are seriously looking at collectibles as an investment, I think it needs to be said that the, the collectibles, collectibles don't produce anything. You know, I think if you look at like Warren Buffett's philosophy on investing, he's always going for something that, you know, an asset that can produce where this is more like art in that it is that abstract value and that you essentially are saying, okay, will someone pay more than what I bought it for? Item, uh, whether it's like a Jordan rookie that's extremely historic or like, you know, a, a base card in like a brand new upper deck release, you know, there, there's a wide range of, of risks and opportunities. So yeah, I think what you're saying is indicative of the market now that a lot of people are saying investing um, and maybe they'll make like 50 bucks, 100 bucks here and there flipping cards, but it's not something you can easily stumble into. It's not something you can easily get into. You know, when you talk to these even art dealers or 
Um, you get into gemstones like diamonds, or uh, if you want to look at sports, vintage sports, these are very exceptional situations. They're not normal scenarios. Like even me, this whole Pokemon thing is very exceptional to the point where no one's ever done this before. You know, it's, it's a created market that didn't exist before uh, because of a lot of factors that are very difficult to replicate. So um, yeah, that, that's always why I tell people is that it's not easy. Uh, you could definitely, there's opportunity for sure all the time in high markets and bear markets or bull markets, but the opportunity to replicate it one-to-one like that, you know, it, it just isn't, it isn't feasible. Yeah, the uh, the theme of my channel, basically collect what you like. I, th- I think I've had yes. like, this is like my 15th or 16th interview and every single one has been, you know, collect what you like, you know, gather the stuff that you enjoy collecting and then, you know, look up in a couple of years and see where you're at. Maybe, maybe it was a good choice, maybe it wasn't, but at the end of the day, if you have what you like, it was a good choice, right? Absolutely. I mean, I always tell people that it's like, that's all I did. That's all people did in this hobby. It's all people do. They're just collecting things they like. And, you know, when you see those fantastical prices on like the T206 recently, that $8 million uh, auction that went at Heritage, or you see, you know, take it to artwork where art is like the pinnacle of collectibles as far as price is concerned. Um, You know, you have people that just simply like something. And sure, there's an investment strategy involved. Maybe, maybe there's other strategies involved, who knows, but they have to have some type of genuine interest, you know? So I always tell that to people, because if you don't have that, you're not going to understand the vocabulary. You're not going to understand the nuance. Someone else who does, who has the same capital that you do is going to beat you every single time, every single time. If you want to translate literally the sports, it's like the guy who can do that that pull up jumper, you know, nine out of 10 times is going to beat you if you don't have that in you, you know, if you don't have that. So you got to, you're competing just like you will in sports. You're competing with people who they have the edge. Some people have the capital, some people have the knowledge, some people have all those combined. So genuine interest is the best way to navigate all that. Yeah, totally. So leave my viewers with one last thing. Um, What, like if someone, if the guys watching are only sports and they're not sure, like, what do I even start with, with Pokemon? What's something like a nice jump off point that's, that may interest someone that may, Mm -hmm. you know, catch their interest, whether it's like the base set or it's some, you know, random promo card set or something that just might catch their eye. Interesting. Yeah, that's a good question. I would say if you had any experience with Pokemon, start there, like start with what you experienced. If you, if you had that, uh, if you didn't first edition basis is like the most, the easiest thing to purchase It's like gold in this hobby. It's the most liquid in that you can put that card up like a Charizard and it's probably going to earn a consistent price all day. It's like your Jordan rookie. I've said that probably five times at this point, Um, but yeah, it's, it's something that's, is very eased entry. It's very analogous to sports like Char. That's Charizard's rookie card, and that it was its first appearance, um, and, and it's part of history. Like that first edition base set is what a lot of the cross collectors go for. Uh, I get, I get, I had a guy the other day. Uh, this is probably good to to say on video. He's a vintage baseball collector. Doesn't do anything past World War II. Everything's pre World War II. And he said he he actually read that SMR magazine that I held up earlier, and he's like, you know, I didn't know about these trophy cards. I didn't know about first edition base. He's like, man, I just love it. I love the rarity. I love the release or whatever. And he started dabbling in Pokemon. This guy's probably like twice my age. So, you know, it's it, it does have this, uh, you know, collectibles have a similarity that I think is universal. It's just a matter of, you know, do you value it? Do you like it? Is there something there you want to, you know, you want to entertain? But yeah, I'd say first edition base is probably the yeah. easiest thing to go after. That'd probably, that's the go-to move for most. Plus, I mean, Charizard. He's just badass, oh, right? Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I had a PSA six, and then 
I watch all your stuff, but there was one video where you were like, you always talk about like rare, minter, older, better, right? Right, so right. Like six just isn't quite, you know, what I'm looking for. Let's let's get an eight. So I bumped it to an eight pretty recently. Oh, there you go. There you go. It's it's the same as sports, man. Like I slept on the Gretzky rookie for so long. I had an opportunity to buy like the nine Gretzky at like four to five thousand dollars back in the day. And now it's like thirty five thousand. So like, you know, Pokemon has seen like the ten has seen a meteoric rise with Charizard and like the nine used to be a thousand. Now I think it's like at like six thousand. Um so yeah, it's at the end of the day, that card, even PSA one, has still has value. So I was, so, like, yeah. I was hanging out with some buddies like a year ago, and it was at like thirteen k on eBay, just sitting there buying now. Maybe like a year and a half ago now, and yes. uh, it was like thirteen thousand dollars. You know, for Pokemon, like, are you insane? And then I'm like, yeah. Remember that time a year ago when we were talking? It's forty now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, it's like, and, and the funny thing is, people, some of the people Pokemon still freak about the prices. I'm like, guys, go look at vintage sports just for a second. Just look at vintage sports and go, or go look at art. And then come back to me and tell me how any of this is rational. Because it's just it's just what someone is willing to pay. It's that simple. All right. Well, <laughs> so. appreciate you coming on, Scott. This was really unique and different from what I'm, you know, everyone else I brought on. So I appreciate you giving us this perspective. Yeah, no problem. Hopefully it was useful. Oh, it was fantastic. Thanks, man. Yeah, anytime.